God, as we approach uh, you this morning on Sanctity of Life Sunday and the day before MLK, uh, Lord, for some of our hearts, our hearts are heavy. Lord, we first and foremost want to praise you this morning for life. God, we give you praise that you are the author of life, the giver of life, and the sustainer of life. Lord, we praise you this morning that you are a God of justice. And so, Lord, our, our hearts are burdened, and Lord, we lament this morning of the killing of the unborn, acts of racism that um, occur every single day throughout your world. God, we yearn and desire for the day in which abortion and racism are unthinkable. Lord, I pray for the church this morning. I pray for us, Lord, in the midst of a watching world that we would be able to model and demonstrate what it looks like to value life from the womb all the way to the tomb. Lord, that you'd help us to model what it looks like to value each person as an equal image bearer of you. So Lord, this morning and Lord, as we reflect on today and and even tomorrow, God, I pray that you would search our hearts, Lord, for any sin that might be there, Lord, that we might confess it, Lord, knowing that you are quick to forgive. And God, would you remind us of the future, remind us of heaven, Lord, uh, there's a day coming in which you will not only wipe away every tear, but Lord, that there will be no such thing as abortion or racism because you, O God, reign supreme. Lord, we praise you that that day is coming where you will make all things new. So Lord, I pray that as we look to your word this morning, that you would make us into a people who look like that in the future. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, uh, my in-laws gifted uh, their kids and their families with a trip uh, to go on this Disney cruise uh, together. And this was an unbelievable experience. If you've been on something like this, you kind of know the drill. Um, But kind of thinking about that experience right now in the midst of COVID gives me a little bit of anxiety being on a cruise ship. But when we went, it was an unbelievable experience. And, And part of the reason why this was such a fun experience is because if you know anything about Disney, you know uh, that their whole thing is centered around you, the consumer, uh, to, to be as happy as possible. Like they want to meet all of your needs. They want to meet all of your wants. And on this Disney cruise, I mean, they have food that's available 24-7. You can call room service to get that Mickey ice cream whenever you want, right? They've got movies and shows and games and activities, all kinds of things for you and your family all of the time. And it's because they want you, the consumer, to be happy. In fact, their motto is a family dream come true. Now, thinking about that, a a Disney cruise experience is wonderful for a family to experience, but a Disney cruise is an unhealthy vision for the church. What I mean by that is if you view church as a cruise ship that will lead you to thinking that the church exists in order to meet your needs, in order to make you happy. It leads people to thinking, like coming to a church wondering, will this church improve my religious quality of life? Does the pastor preach funny, time-conscious messages that meet my felt needs, right? Do I like the music, right? All of these questions really hinge on one question. Does this church make me happy? Right? And success is really measured by the approval of those who are being served. And it kind of reduces the church experience to what can I get, what can I receive, instead of what can I give, what can I 
contribute. Kind of changes the mission of the church from to know Jesus and to make him known to others to a family dream come true. Now, while I appreciate the, uh, the idea of church being a place of solace, I think that this idea of church being a cruise ship falls short of what the New Testament describes for the people of God. So how do we view the church then? Well, some may go to the other end of the, of the spectrum, and they say that, no, the church isn't about comfort. The church is about mission. So we want to view the church as a battleship, right? And, and here, uh, success is measured by the church's ability to kind of storm enemies' territory and save as many people as possible, it views kind of the, the battleship as the place where all the programs and the services and, and the roles of the soldiers are meant to having this battle-oriented mentality, that individuals, part of the battleship, they kind of put their individual needs and wants to the side for the sake of mission. Now, this is better than kind of the cruise ship mentality, but it implies that the battle that takes place only exists on that battleship. And while I appreciate the, the centrality of the church with that metaphor, I think that there's a, a better one that I want us to think about this morning. It's to view the church not as a cruise ship, not as a battleship, but as an aircraft carrier. To view the church as the place where it is deploying planes, if you will, to fight battles beyond the location of that particular aircraft carrier. To view the church as the place where we are equipping others to go and to do battle. J.D. Greer articulates this uh, in one of his books. He says that churches that want to prevail against the gates of hell must learn to see themselves like aircraft carriers, that members need to learn to share the gospel without the help of the pastor and the community, that churches must become discipleship factories, sending agencies that equip their members to take the battle to the enemy. This metaphor of an aircraft carrier, it's meant to be more than just a word picture. But I'm using this to, to help us think a little bit differently this morning about what it means for us to be the church and what God has called each of us to do. It's not a perfect metaphor by any means, but the, the point is, is that we want the church to be kind of this discipleship factory, where the intent is, is equipping the saints to go and live out the mission wherever you are. Now, this demands having a posture of engagement, having a posture of, of participating in the mission that God has given us, not being indifferent and not being passive. This demands us to be convinced that God has not only called us into the mission of the Great Commission, but God has given us everything we need in order to be successful in living out this mission for you to be reminded this morning that God has given you his living, powerful, active word of God in accomplishing this mission. That God has given you the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit himself, to live inside of you who makes available the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. That God has given you his amazing promises right? Hundreds and hundreds of promises for you to use every day. One being that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. 
for you to understand that the power of the gospel that we have at our disposal, the most life-changing, hope-drenched message of good news that Jesus saves sinners. Look, God has given us everything we need for this mission. And yes, Sunday morning is, is one of the most important hours of the week for Christians. But, but I want you to be reminded this morning that you, follower of Jesus, you have everything you need in order to take the mission and live it out, not just here, but to live it out wherever you are, in your home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, and at school. And, and that's really the, the vision of our church. That, that's really what these last two core values speak into, that we are participants, not spectators, and we are sent and sending. In fact, let me read for you this morning the, the descriptions of these last two core values. The first one, we are participants, not spectators, says this, that the church is a congregation, not a crowd. Christians are called to sacrificially serve others and faithfully steward their God-given time, treasures, and talents by engaging in Christ's church and mission. Every member should be a contributor, not just a consumer. And then the last one here is that we are sent and sending, which I'll explain in a moment here. I guess it's not up there, but we are sent and sending. It says that we make disciples and join Christ's mission to multiply disciple makers locally and globally, that Jesus not only saves, but he sends us. The whole church is called to discipleship and evangelism to make, mature, and multiply disciples of Jesus. Now, just hearing those descriptions, it screams engagement. It screams activity. It screams participation. The challenge here, though, is that for most of us this morning, you would probably say, Pastor, I, I am a participant. I I'm not a spectator. And you would probably say that because then you'd say, well, I'm here at church on Sunday, aren't I? I'm not, I'm not sleeping in. Or maybe you're tuning in online, you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm engaged with the message. I'm not watching SportsCenter or watching the news right now. I am a participant. And that might be true, but part of the challenge that I want to lay before us this morning, that as we think about these two core values and living them out in and through our church, I want us to be challenged to deepen our engagement, for us to take steps today to be better participants in the mission that God has given us. And in order to accomplish that, what I want to do is I want to kind of compare and contrast the difference between being an active participant compared to being a passive spectator as a follower of Jesus, okay? So let me compare and contrast three things. Here's the first one, is that church is a place where I consume compared to church is a place where I contribute. Now, for a lot of Christians... The tendency is to view the church as the place that you go to. This is the place where I attend in order to receive something, in order to, to get something, in order to, to consume something. Now, that's not all wrong or bad. We want you to come here and to consume the word of God. We want you to consume all that God is. But I think it's unhealthy if that's all that you think that the church is, is a place for you to consume and for you to receive something that God actually has something more for you than just to be a consumer. In fact, Ephesians 4, the passage that I read earlier is so helpful because in verse 11, 
It says that God has given the church different gifts. And these gifts are in the form of people, in, in church leaders. He's given pastors and shepherds and teachers to do what? To do all of the ministry? No, no, look at verse 12. He's given the church these leaders in order to equip the saints to do the work of ministry, the building up of the body of Christ. Okay, so that's actually my job description right there. It's to equip you in order to go and do the mission of the church. That the church is the place where the saints of God are contributing to the ministry. Now, this demands that all of us view church not as the place only to receive, but to give, but to serve, but to participate in what God is doing, right? Church is not a hobby. Church is not something that we do. Church is actually who we are. Church is not a place that you go to. The church is who we are. The church is not something that you receive only the church is a place where you give, where you participate, where you contribute to what God is doing. And I think this kind of changes the optics a little bit as far as your role, where you don't view yourself as being on the sidelines or, or being on the bench, but you're actually in the game. You're actually participating in what God is doing. And I just wonder, what, what would this do to our church if all of us had this type of mentality? Like as you're driving in here on, uh, onto the, the facility here, if you're praying and you're saying, God, help me to be a contributor today, not just a consumer. Help me to think beyond myself. Help me to think, how can I serve? How can I give and not just receive today? I, I wonder if that would help our church to become more of a place where we are thankful people, we are encouragers, we're thinking of others, we're selfless, and we're humble. That the church is a place where we contribute not just consume. And I think another key difference uh, in being an active participant versus a passive spectator has to do with your time, treasure, and talent. What I mean by these is time refers to uh, your schedule and your calendar and kind of how you invest your day. Your treasure relates to your money and, and your financial resources. Your talent refers to the blessings God has given you, your, your spiritual gifts, your, your strengths and, and your passions and, and the things that you love. Well, I think that there are two different ways of thinking about your time, treasure, and talent. And depending on where you fall, I think it says a lot about your spiritual maturity level. I think one way to viewing your time, treasure, and talent is to basically view your life as belonging to you. And you may never verbalize this, but it's basically thinking everything that I have, my time, treasure, and talent, I've worked for and I've earned. So these essentially belong to me. But then you say, but I'm, I'm a Christian uh, or I want to be a good person. So what do I owe to God? Like, like what, of, what of mine do I need to give back to God? And you can kind of view it as like a God tax, right? Like, like these things are mine, but I want to be a good Christian, so let me just give a portion of it to God. And I think that's a fairly immature view of how to view time, treasure, and talent. The, the other way to view it is to understand that it's all God's, that, that everything belongs to him, that you don't own one penny, that, that the gifts that you have 
are actually all belong to God. The, the breath that you breathe belongs to God. And so the, the driving question of your life then becomes, God, how do you want me to use all of this that you've given me, right? And, and it changes it a little bit. It moves it from being an owner of things to actually being a steward. I think this is what Paul was after here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, where he says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? See, do you see Paul's point here? He's saying that everything you have has been given to you by God. So why do you boast as if you've, you've worked for it, as if you've earned it? Right? Paul's addressing, I think, the default mindset that's so easy for us to have, where we say, everything that I have, I've worked for, I've earned, therefore, I get to decide how to use it and how to spend it. And yet this morning, I just want to be abundantly clear that everything we have, God owns. It's, it's all of his, right? Everything is God's. And yet, this is the cool thing, and yet God invites us to engage and participate in what he is doing by calling us to being stewards of these things, not owners, stewards of these things, and so our mindset is not the God text mentality, but it's God. How do you want me to use all of this? Now, let me press this in a little bit this morning because I think part of the challenge is that for most of us, we already know this. Like theologically, we know that God is the creator of all things. We know that everything kind of belongs to God and he gives us these things as gifts, right? We know it up here, but what happens is that as we think about our time, treasure, and talent, and our money, and our jobs, and our kids, and our relationships, we want to care for them so well. We want to be good stewards of them so well that over time, we, we kind of do this with them. We almost clutch onto them, and we have kind of almost this white knuckle grip, where over time, it moves from just being a steward to an owner where we say, these are mine. And we may not say that out loud, but, but we understand theologically these belong to God, but I love them so much. I'm trying to steward them so well that kind of in the back of our minds, we would probably admit if we were really transparent yeah, these are actually mine, and, and I'm going to be faithful with them. I'm going to give God kind of the God tax, but these belong to me. And one way that you can know that you've fallen into this is when suffering comes into your life, right? When suffering comes into your life, because you're like this, it's not only a difficulty, but it devastates you. We're viewing these things not as gifts that God's given to you to be a steward, but you're an owner. When something bad happens to these things or something is taken away, right, something negative happens to your kids, you lose your job, whatever the case may be, it's not just something that you're trying to faithfully endure and grow through, but it crushes you, right? And this is the tendency that we have in viewing these things as I'm the owner and not just a steward, 
But I want to encourage you this morning, because I think we all have a tendency to kind of fall into this tight grip. The gospel actually speaks into this. This is where the gospel becomes extremely helpful. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about being shaped by the gospel. The gospel not only saves us, but it shapes us. The way that the gospel shapes our time, treasure, and talent is that it kills the grip, right? It, it opens up the curl in our lives. When you stop and you think about who you would be, where you would be if Jesus Christ did not save you from your sins. Like when you understand who you would be if Jesus didn't die in your place, that you would be lost, you would be hopeless, you would be condemned if it was not for Jesus. That the debt of your sin, there would be no answer for. And yet Jesus stepped in, right? Jesus absorbed all of your sin. Jesus paid your penalty. He took your punishment for you in order to save you. Now, now we can sometimes think, yeah, he did that because, because I'm so great, right? Because I have so much to contribute. And yet the reality that Jesus did all of these things, not because you earned it, not because you are so great, but Jesus did all of that because of grace, Right, unmerited, generous grace motivated God to sending Jesus to die in your place. And when you think about that, when you think about the generosity of God the Father, who, who, who did not hoard his own son Jesus, but had this open-handed posture of sending even his own son in order to pay the penalty of your sin, when that idea of grace gets inside of your soul, then you become generous with your time and your treasure and your talents, right? When you see what God did in the gospel, how he modeled this and how he lavishes you with that same grace by not only saving you, but giving you everything that you need, you view yourself as a steward of the things that God has given you. And I love this aspect of the gospel because it also speaks into our motives, because that's another thing that's really tricky about wanting to be a steward with our time, treasure, and talent, is making sure that our motives is one of grace and not greed and not guilt, right? In other words, if, if you viewed your heart like a bowl for a moment, and, and God through the gospel is just lavishing his grace upon you in your heart, and it's just overflowing with grace so that you're giving and you're generous because of that, if you become motivated by guilt, right, where, where you're thinking, I can never give enough, what guilt does is it pokes holes into your heart so you start to leak grace because you can never give enough being motivated by guilt. And, and if you're motivated by greed, what greed does is it puts a lid over the bull of your heart so that you're no longer receiving grace from God because with greed, it's all about you. All these things are really yours and you've got this tight grip on them. But motivated by grace, the, the grace that God displayed in and through the gospel and how he's lavishing upon you allows us to be stewards with the right motives of grace. And look, that is a key characteristic of one who is an active participant in the mission of God. Well, the third one, and really the last one that I want to point out this morning, another key difference between being an active participant versus a passive spectator is this idea of who is being sent on mission. 
I love um, in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, one of Jesus' most well-known prayers, he actually prays that we would understand that each follower of Jesus has been sent on mission, right? Not just a select few, not just the super Christians, but all of us have been sent on mission. I love this. In John 17, verses 15 and 18, Jesus is praying. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. In, in the truth, Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. See, this is Jesus' heart. This is his vision for each and every one of us, is not to withdraw from the world, but to have this idea that we have been sent into the world. Why? Because there's a mission There's an assignment that God has given us. There's a a task to do. And this is something that Jesus will actually unpack and explain for his disciples just a few days after this prayer in John 17, after the resurrection, where Jesus kind of explains the great commission. Or in Acts 1.8, here's the assignment that he gives us. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Look, what I want to highlight for us this morning is that if you are a Christian, you have been sent on mission. This isn't for a select few, but the great commission is for each and every one of us who calls themselves a Christian. So then, as J.D. Greer puts it, the question is no longer if we are called to leverage our lives for the Great Commission. It's only where and how, right? And some are called to living out this mission overseas, maybe in a different culture, right? Maybe, you know, kind of the global outreach vision that we have. But then others of us are called to live out this mission exactly where we are, that every Christian is called to leverage their lives for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's call to missions is not separate from God's call upon your life for salvation, right? We sometimes think that they're different, but no, God's call to missions is actually integrated in his calling of salvation in your life. In other words, when you said yes to Jesus and salvation, you were saying yes to missions. Now, for some of us that may take us overseas, but at the very least, we, at the very least, we have this mindset of living on mission exactly where we are right here today. And and this informs this core value of being sent and sending. We say that we uh, we are sent because that's part of our story. For those of you who are with us back in, in 2015, College Park Church sent us to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ here in Fishers. That's part of our DNA. And Lord willing, in years to come, we'd love to to send other people to to do church planning uh, where there is a need. But we're also sending, which means that we're committed to living out the gospel locally and uh, globally. This means that for us, our, our global outreach strategy has been designed to reaching unreached people groups. That that's one of kind of our distinct, distinctions here at our church is that we're passionate for reaching unreached people groups uh, throughout the world. 
And this core value informs why we do a Christmas offering every year, why we give thousands of dollars in order uh, to, to reach and to meet a strategic need throughout the world. And, and let me just pause here and just thank you for your generosity this year, unbelievable response of, of exceeding our goal of over $90,000 in order for the Filters of Hope to go to Cuba and for clean water and the gospel of Jesus Christ to go forth. Like amazing job, church, in stepping up and doing that. And part of why we have that vision is because of this core value that we're sent and sending. This is partly why we do vision trips, which is our version of a mission trip but the purpose is for you to catch a vision of what God is doing around the world. In fact, our next vision trip is, is to Cuba in October, uh, right now, pending uh, COVID, but it's going to be over fall break. And this is extre an extremely family-friendly type of a vision trip. If, if you're thinking about how to maybe expose your kids uh, for missions, this is a great opportunity. And there will actually be a call-out meeting on January 31st uh, during the second service. But look, th this is part of, of what we love at our church. We love this idea of being both sent and sending. But we understand that we, we all have a mission field, right? And, and some of us will be called to going overseas and globally, but others of us, our mission field is what God has given us right here today. That for some of us, that mission field looks like your workplace, where you're surrounded by unbelievers every single day. Others of us, our mission field looks like home, where you're surrounded by little three-year-olds and four-year-olds who are unconverted and they don't know Jesus Christ. That's your mission field. Others of us, you look at your neighborhood. You have unbelieving neighbors all around you. That's where God has you to living out the mission of God. And, and that's that's our vision for our church, that we would be this aircraft carrier, not a cruise ship and not a battleship, that we are all called to mission. Well, as, as I close this morning, you know, reflecting on these core values over the last couple of weeks, really helpful for me just to even preach on, kind of explain what they look like in our church. But the more that I was reflecting on these, the more I just kind of fell in love in a deeper way with, with you, with our church like thinking about these six core values and how important all of them, like these specific examples are flooding into my mind over the last couple of weeks of how well that you actually live these out. It just made me a, a very proud pastor to be able to lead this church, knowing that these are six realities of our church. And yet the other thought I had that came into my mind as I was thinking and praying, even for this, this Sunday, I was wondering, what would it look like for each of us to take 2021 and to commit ourselves by saying, I'm going to grow in better living out these six core values this year. Like, like what would it look like for you to say this year, I'm going to be more driven by the Bible. I'm going to be more shaped by the gospel. I'm going to be better known by other believers in this church and so on and so forth. What would that do to our church this year? It would make us a, a healthier church and it would have a, a ripple effect in the surrounding community all around us. Look, that's, that's my hope, that's my prayer that we would become a more healthy church this year by living out these core values so that this year, we will know Jesus better and make him known to others better this year 
than in 2020. Would you join me in praying for that in our church? God, we praise you and we thank you for all that you've done in Pennington Park Church. We, God, we thank you for, for the culture and the DNA that you've created here. And God, I pray, Lord, as, as we think about our church and Lord, this church is made up of, of individuals that, that each of us would take seriously the call to, to maturing and to growing in our relationship with you. God, we all want to be godlier this year. We want to love you more. We want to be more faithful to living out the gospel. So God, I pray that you'd help us to do that, that you would show us, Lord, specific areas that we need to grow in. And Lord, we, we want to be a healthier church, not for our glory, but for your glory. And we commit this in Jesus' name, amen.